sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In his name we pray, amen. Well, I'm gonna, uh, my teaching this morning is gonna be a little different than usual. I'm just gonna speak somewhat extemporaneously to some degree. Um, Early, early Friday morning, I I realized I'm probably gonna be teaching today, so kind of try to put some thoughts together, so bear with me. But I do feel like, I do believe God has something he wants to say to us today. I believe that with all my heart. Of course, whenever you open the Bible, he has something to say, right? Um, I think it was Bob Dylan. I don't know, I didn't look this quote up, but I think it was him who said, you don't have to be a weatherman to know which way the wind's blowing, right? You don't have to be a weatherman to tell which way the wind's blowing. You just go outside, you hold your finger up, or, and you can tell. Um, I want to spend some time today talking about or drawing your attention to how I believe we need to live in the days in w- that are ahead. Um, it's funny how, you know, 2020, there are all these memes, I can't wait till 2021, right? I mean, that sums them up, basically. Uh, it was this epic year of difficulty and trials. And of course, there's the, the big things that everyone faces, that everyone knows about. And then there's the, the things that, the more acute trials that we go through personally as well. And then it's almost like some people thought once the calendar turned to 2021, it'll all be gone. Midnight, January 1st, 2021. Oh, it's a new year. Everything's different. But we have the same problem of sin and darkness and um, deception and deceit. And uh, it doesn't, it, you don't have to be a weatherman to see which way things are going. And um, so I think we need to talk about something in a sober-minded, straightforward way. And I don't want to engage in hyperbole. I don't want you to be filled with fear I do want you to be sober-minded and vigilant and strong for the days ahead. Um, And quite frankly, I hope that you are filled with hope and strengthened and actually encouraged today from our time together. Um, Things are changing, obviously, in our country. And... Christians have often lived in troubling times, in troubling situations politically and governmentally and so forth. And I think we just have to realize that the new regime coming into power is, um, and the policy platform that they want to put forward is not just a little different, it's not just a little off from the Christian faith, but it is antithetical in many respects. It is hostile to the Christian faith. It is hostile to a biblical worldview. It is hostile to anyone who wants to live out the implications of the gospel and live out the implications of what the Bible says is true. Whether you're talking about the issue of abortion and what is life and the importance of image bearers of God from conception to natural death, whether you're talking about God's definition of marriage between a man and a woman, whether you're talking about what it means to be made in God's image male 
and female. Whoever thought that would be controversial? It is. Like just this last week, the House wants, wants to pass a resolution to use gender-neutral pronouns in the House. And it's not going to stay there. It's not going to stay right there. Whether you're talking about the issues of redefining words and phrases, the exclusivity of Christ for salvation, fidelity to God's word and God's law, and calling sin what God calls sin, hate speech laws, censoring speech, all of this, censoring thought, all of this, the wind's blowing a certain direction, and I think we have to be um, wise, and I think we just have to be honest, and I think we need to be sober-minded and look to what God says to us about the times we live in. Um, I often, well, I, I think I've quoted Lord of the Rings many times <laughs> from up here. There's this part, there's this time in the first of the movies, the first of the books too, the, the Fellowship of the Ring, where Frodo's talking to Gandalf. They're in the mines of Moria. Remember that part? And Frodo turns to Gandalf and says, I wish that these things weren't happening in my time. And Gandalf's response is excellent, so wise. He said, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. We live, and, and I, think it's an, I think it's an exciting time to be a Christian alive right now. I really do. Um, I look to the future and I realize, okay, things are going to be different. Things are going to be challenging, hard in some ways, no doubt. But I think God is going to do glorious things in and through his people. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. So what are we to do? We must decide what to do with the time that's given to us. What are we going to do with this time that's given to us? So I want to draw your attention. I mean, this is something that, that hit me one morning, a few months back, several months back probably, as we were going through 1 John here on Saturday mornings with the men. There was a phrase that jumped out at me. And so I want to draw your attention to a statement that Jesus makes seven times in Revelation 2 and 3. These are seven letters written to seven churches. These were actually churches, okay? It's not just to be taken metaphorically or take lessons. I mean, we are to take lessons from it, but these were actual churches, actual Christians that these letters were sent to. In Asia Minor, in the first century, toward the tail end of the first century, these were people Jesus had a message for. Seven times in these letters, one to each of the church, once to each of the church, he ends with the same words. And he says this, to the one who conquers. Or to the one, if you have the New American Standard, it says, and I like, actually like that translation better, to the one who overcomes. The idea is on the battlefield, right? In this spiritual battle and overcoming. To the one who overcomes. 
Here's what it says in Revelation 2.7 to the church at Ephesus. To the one who conquers or overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In Revelation 2.17 to the church at Pergamum, he writes, to the one who conquers or overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone, which a new name written on the stone, or excuse me, with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. In Revelation 2.26 to the church at Thyatira, he writes, the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3.5 to the church at Sardis, he says, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Listen to this, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.12, Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And to the church at Laodicea, Jesus said the following, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. That's amazing. As I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We want to be those who overcome. So you might have noticed I skipped one. And that's because I want to park on that one this morning. I want to read just uh, Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. This is what Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, or in Smyrna. He says the following, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the phrase. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We want to be those who overcome. We want to be those who conquer. And so we need to hear these words from Christ. You know, uh, Jesus, um, historically, Theologians have said Jesus has three offices. He has the office of priest and king and prophet. He's our priest, right? He stands between us and, and, and God. He is at the Father's right hand interceding for us as our high priest. Praise his name. He is our king, right? He is, he is the king of God's kingdom that we bow down and worship and humbly submit to. And he is our prophet, He speaks God's message to us. 
And I love these words that, from Revelation 2, 8 to 11. These are the words of Christ. I mean, all the Bible is the word of Christ, but these are the words directly from the lips of Jesus. Notice how Jesus introduces himself in verse 8, Revelation 2, 8. You know, when, when a speaker's about ready to get up in front of a crowd and they're introduced. Ever been at a, like a big gathering and someone's introduced and the introduction goes on forever and ever and ever because they're going through all this person's credentials, their doctorate degree, postdoctorate degree, all these things that they've done, right? They're trying to, they want you to listen to this person or the person wants you to listen to them. <laughs> so they help write the introduction for themselves. Jesus' introduction is really short, but it's epic. It's powerful. Here's what he says. This is Christ's own introduction to his letter to the church at Smyrna. The words of the first and the last. Wow. <laughs> Listen up, right? The words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. Think about that. The words of the first and the last. Jesus says, I'm about to speak to you and I am the first and the last. It says that later in, or earlier in Revelation chapter one. It says later that God is the alpha and the omega, right? The first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. Jesus is about ready to speak and he introduces himself as the first and the last. I am the first. The, the, the Greek word is protos. It's prototype. He's the prototype. He is the first. He's the first in a succession of things. He is the first in rank. And he is the first in the beginning. He is the last. He is the end. Eschatos is the Greek word from where we get eschatology. Eschatology is a study of the end times or the last days or, or just the last things. Jesus is the first and the last. All of human history is in his hands. And he has something to say to us. <clears throat> That's a pretty powerful introduction, isn't it? <clears throat> you want to listen to someone who can say this about themselves himself. But then he goes on and says, who died and who came to life. Jesus is the one who died and who came to life. Life here, of course, is not just that he was resuscitated, right? Other people were raised from the dead in Jesus's ministry and through the apostles. And you hear accounts of people that have been brought back to life through miraculous means, through prayer, right? All of that. But this was different. Jesus was brought back to life never to die again. That's what Hebrews says. He's given the power of an indestructible life. I, he's the one who died and came to life. I find it interesting. <clears throat> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm drawing too much from this. But there's places in the New Testament that say that Jesus was raised, right? The Father raised him. Um, there's other places where Jesus, I think at least one place, John 10 for sure, where Jesus says he raised himself or he would raise himself. 
right? Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. And here Jesus says, I'm the one who died and I came to life. Doesn't say he was brought back to life. That would be true too. I came back to life. We want to listen to him. We want his words in this time we live in. We want the words of Christ to ring in our ears the loudest and quite frankly, maybe drown out a lot of other stuff. You know, and I, the, I struggle with this too, okay? I want to know what's going on. So I get online, I turn the TV on and I get on Facebook and Twitter and try to see what's going on because there's so much upheaval, right? And right now, this is a sidebar, okay? Um, this is a time where God's people, you don't want to live with the TV on all the time. You want to live with your Bible open, hearing the word of Christ. So what does Jesus say? What's his teaching? Now, remember, this is a letter written to an actual church. That were, they were actual individuals in this church in the first century. They were going through hardship. Jesus had a message for them. So there's some things in this I'm not going to try to pull out and apply to us because I don't think they do. But there are some things that are applicable to Christians in every age. And that's what I want to draw out this morning. What does Jesus say here? And remember at the end, Jesus says the one toward the end of this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. God, give us ears. Here's what he says. First, he says, I know your tribulation. I know your tribulation, verse nine. I know your tribulation. The word tribulation can be translated trouble, trial, affliction. Um, We live in a fallen world. There's all kinds of trials and tribulations and difficulties we go through from living in a fallen world, from an adversary, the devil, and his attacks on us, from our own sin and the consequences of our sin. There's all sorts of tribulations. Jesus says, I know your tribulation. You are, and I think the next verse seems to imply that it hasn't come yet, but he knows it. Isn't that comforting and encouraging? That Jesus, the one who says, I'm the first and the last, I'm the one who died and I came back to life. He knows our trials. He knows our future trials. He knows them. I remember reading about uh, Richard Vermbrand, who was a pastor in communist Romania, and he spent, I think, 16, 15, 16 years in a communist prison there for his faithfulness to Christ. And a lot of that time he spent in a jail cell like 30 feet below ground by himself. No window, (laughs) you know, and... I remember hearing him think about those times and he said one of the things that was especially difficult was, does anyone know I'm here? Does my wife even know where I'm at? And yet Jesus met him there very powerfully. Jesus knows your tribulation. He knows. He's all-knowing, of course. I mean, he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the first and the last. All of history, it's in his hands. He's outside of time. He sees everything. He knows everything. 
He knows your tribulation. He's omniscient is the, the big word, right? Om, omniscient, he's all-knowing. I think it also implies that he knows our tribulation. He is a, he's sympathetic. He knows it. He's, he's intimately acquainted with us in trials. And, you know, even just this morning, I mean, just talking to someone going through a deep trial, difficulty, bad news, He knows our tribulation. I think of how uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus, our high priest, is not unable. It's this double negative. It's for emphasis. He is not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. With what we face in the future, and no one here has a crystal ball, we don't know exactly, but trials and difficulties, I think we can say that. Challenges, you bet. Persecution, to some degree, probably. He knows. He knows it. Tribulation. It's a general word that speaks of all kinds of, James uses it this way in James chapter one, count it all joy when you go through various trials or tribulations, various, big and small, physical and emotional, all sorts of things. When you go through various trials, count it all joy. So tribulation here is a, a general word. Of course, it meant something specific for the church of Smyrna. Here's something that I just think is so sweet and precious. Your trials, your tribulations, your difficulties, and even when Christians are persecuted, Jesus knows it and takes it personal. You guys remember when, when, uh, when Paul was on, on the way to Damascus? He was on the road to Damascus and Jesus met him in a blinding light. He fell down to the ground and the first words of Jesus, you remember what he said? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No, he didn't say the church. He said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, I know your tribulation. Then he says this, do not fear. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> do not fear what you're about to suffer Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Do not fear. There's that statement that said how many times, 365 times I've heard some say. 365 times in the Bible, do not fear. It's the most common command in the Bible. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. One of my favorite verses, Psalm, or Isaiah 41 10, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. Actually, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear, Jesus said. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Right? What you're about to suffer. That's why I said, I think earlier when he says, I know your tribulation, I think he's pointing forward to what they're about to suffer. 
Don't fear what you are about to suffer. Isn't it amazing? Now, we, in, we have a hard time understanding this because life tends to be so comfortable and easy and we think everything ought to go our way. And yet the Lord of the universe says, I know it's coming. Don't be afraid. It's coming. Don't be afraid. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. So the devil's going to throw some in prison and they're going to be tested. The devil has his purposes and God has his purposes. Right? The devil's going to do something and God is going to overrule it and do something. God, the devil's going to throw in prison and their faith is going to be tested and that's God's purpose. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter says, the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold Do not fear what you're about to suffer. You're going to be tested. And then he says, for 10 days, you're going to have tribulation. I don't, I, don't, I don't think we're to take that literally 10 days for the church of Smyrna, that it was going to be 10 days. They could, like they could decide, okay, this is day one. And so five days later, okay, we're halfway through. I think the point is that it's a determined time. It's a temporary time. And because Jesus is the first and last, the one who died and came back to life, it's determined by him ultimately. So I know your tribulation. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, what you're going to be tested through for a period of time when you go through trials. Then Jesus says this, be faithful unto death. So for Smyrna, the, the, the church in Smyrna, some of them were gonna die. We're not facing that, but some of them were. And he said, be faithful to death. Be faithful all the way to death. For you and I, we wanna be faithful to death too, right? Whether that's at a really old age of 97 or Sometime before that, unexpectedly, we want to be faithful all the way to the end. To be faithful means to be trustworthy. It means to be steadfast and sure. It means to be in all the way. The Proverbs, uh, I didn't look it up. Proverbs, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, many a man, I think it's 28 maybe 28.1, it says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Many people say lots of things about their love, about their commitment, about their faith, about this, about that, about, but a faithful, someone who is faithful. It is, a, it is, a, it is among the fruit that is not as highly valued as it ought to be faithfulness be faithful be faithful not for a while not for most of your life not until you retire from your vocational work be faithful to the end that's what Jesus says be faithful all the way to the end
what does it mean to be faithful? It is not just making it to, this is probably the way I would have thought when I was a kid, and it, it's not like, you know, the, the, the unforgivable sin, like saying, I deny Jesus, and then you die. It's like, oh no, right? It's not just making it to the end of your life without saying, I deny Jesus. That's a really lar- low bar for faithfulness. Faithfulness to Christ is faithfulness to his word. It's fidelity to his truth. Think of what, remember what Jude said to the, to the people he was writing to? He said, I really wanted to write to you about our common salvation. We could rejoice in this together, but I felt it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The faith is the body of truth that we have in the scriptures, to contend for the truth. That's what it means to be faithful. We want to be faithful all the way to the end. As more and more, there's more and more confusion and more and more false teachings and more and more people saying, I'm, follow me, all of that. We want to be faithful to what God says. So that's what it means to be faithful. It also means to follow Christ. Obediently following Jesus. All the way to the end. Matthew 24. Jesus says, um, as we get near the end, lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Lawlessness will increase. Lawlessness breaking off the shackles of God's law. Just get rid of that. I want to do what I want to do. And love, the love of many will grow cold. We see that, don't we? Don't let that be said of you. I mean, I really think there are enemies of the cross, no doubt. And, And we ought to be able to say that. But we are called to love our enemies. So, be faithful unto death. Be faithful all the way to the end. And then last, Jesus said, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, to the one who is faithful to the end. This phrase, will not be hurt by the second death, just means we're all gonna die the first time. Then when Jesus comes, we're going to be raised again. And then there's a second death, and it's after the final judgment when the devil and those who reject Christ are thrown into the lake of fire. Those who conquer will not be hurt by that. The lake of fire, which burns forever and ever, by the way. It's an eternal perspective. The one who conquers, the one who, the one who overcomes now, the one who overcomes in this life for what Paul describes as light momentary affliction, which for Paul to say that, I mean, my goodness, we've never had an hour. I mean, what he, what he suffered in one day, we've never experienced. Probably. I mean, I, I guess I don't, I don't want to belittle the suffering that we go through. 
the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. What a precious truth. So, the one who conquers is the one who engages in the battle, right? On the battlefield, spiritual war that we're in, the spiritual battle we're in, we don't hide ourselves from it, we don't lock ourselves in our room and just, <laughs> I'm just gonna, that's out there, I'm gonna stay nice and safe in here and, and hold out until Jesus comes, right? The overcomer is the one who's on the, he's on the field of battle Amen. and he overcomes, he, she overcomes. How do we do that? How do we do that? Don't you want to know how, to, how we do this? It's important. How do, we, how, do we live? how do we live in such a way that we are overcomers? Amen. First, it's through Christ. It's through faith in Christ. It has to start there. It has to start there. But not a mindless, not a... I've gone through the motions, not just a mental ascent, but a strong, dynamic, living faith in Christ. That's what we need. Here's what the Apostle John, actually, here's what Jesus said. Let me go there first. John 16. These are the last words of Christ in his teaching in what is known as the Upper Room Discourse. John 14 to 16. He said this, I have said these things, all these things I've said to you that in me you may have peace. So in me you would have peace. And then he says, in the world you will have trouble, tribulation, tribulation, affliction, trials. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's, it's as we are connected to Christ by faith, a living faith, a dynamic faith. It's in Christ. It's in him, right? We, we are united to Jesus by faith, right? We are placed in him by faith. United to Christ forever. I said that earlier in my prayer. And it's through faith in him that we overcome because he is the overcomer. The reason I say it's by faith is because that's what the, what the Apostle John said in John, 1 John 5. Where he says, verses 4 and 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Amen. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Why? Because our faith connects us with Christ. We sang it earlier, let goods and kindred go, right? This mortal life also. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go our way. Overcoming does not mean that. We overcome in Christ and through Christ. It's connected to him. And listen, that happens the moment you believe. The moment you believe. For the first time, there's saving faith. You are placed in Christ and you will never be removed. But the experience of our faith kind of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? And sometimes we feel like we are just being battered and bruised. And and so we need to work. 
with God's help and his grace and by, by his spirit to encourage our faith, to build up our faith. Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Right? I think of what Paul wrote in, in Romans, I think it's 14, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do we build our faith up? By filling our, filling our minds and our hearts with the spirit, with the God-breathed word, the words of Christ, the message of Christ. So how do we conquer? Well, it has to start here. It must start here through faith in Jesus Christ. But more needs to be said. It is through faith in Christ. It starts there. But the Bible also tells us that there's something about being connected with other believers in the body, together. How do we conquer? How do we overcome? Not on our own, together. It's, it's, it, it, it's noteworthy, I think, that Jesus spoke these things not to individuals, but to churches, all of these letters. It was not written to this isolated person over here. In fact, all the New Testament, all the letters of the New Testament, with the exception of First and Second Timothy and Titus, were written to churches, groups of people. So we are to conquer and overcome together. Vitally, remember I said vital faith in Christ, vital connection to the body to the body of Christ. And not just kind of th this vague connection to the universal body of Christ everywhere they're gathered, but I think specifically to a local body. Like, I see your face, I hear your voice, we're doing life together, that's important. We went through Hebrews not long ago, and there are some, I think, important exhortations in this regard in the book of Hebrews. And remember, this is written again. This is written to Christians who are experiencing persecution. They're, they're Christians that are being pushed to the edges of society and in some cases perhaps hot persecution. Some were thrown in prison and so forth. Here's what the writer the writer of the book of Hebrews said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. When's it not going to be called today? When you're dead? <laughs> right? And then it says this, encourage one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you would be har may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. And you're a sitting duck. You and I are sitting ducks when we are isolated. Don't drift. That's another exhortation from Hebrews, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 10 says almost the same thing. Um, part of it anyways. Verses 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So we overcome, we conquer through faith in Christ. It has to start there. We also overcome, but then we overcome together. We overcome in community. We overcome as the body of Christ. We also overcome resting in the love of Christ. Resting in the mighty, covenantal, unstoppable love of Christ. We sang it earlier. In death and life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. My debt is paid and nothing can separate us from the power of your great love. Here's what Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, there's our word, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then Paul says, no. In all these things, not not once we get on the other side of them, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. There's that word, more than overcomers. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We rest in his mighty love. We look, right, through faith in Christ, we, we see what he has done for us. Our debt is paid. And because he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, Hebrews 7.25 says, ever living to intercede for us. He never takes a break. He's always interceding for us. Nothing can separate us from his love. But I think there's more that we do to conquer, to overcome. We, we trust in Christ. We look to Christ, right? Dynamic faith in him, dynamic connection with the body, resting in Christ's love. But, but then there's this. We are called to live our lives in this world. Not to be of it, but we're to live our lives here in this world. This world that might become probably will, in some regard, more hostile to us. As Christians who want to live faithfully for Christ, so what do we do? We do good. Amen? We do good. Paul says this in Romans 12. 19 to 21, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Wow. Never take revenge. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. There are a lot of people really unhappy right now. A lot of Christians happy. We need to leave room for God's wrath. Don't take vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. So we do good. We trust in Christ, dynamic faith in Christ. We, 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 we gather together. We do life together, dynamic connection with the body. We, we rest in Christ's love and we, we go out and we do as much possible good as we can. And Jesus says to other people, do it in such a way that other people see your good works and give glory to God the Father. So don't let your light, don't cover your light, okay? And finally, um, how do we overcome? By not loving our lives too much. By not loving our lives even unto death. That's what Revelation 12, 11 says. I suppose I could have just gone to Revelation 12, 11 and just said this, is, this says it all, but I wanted to emphasize some other things. Here's what Revelation 12, 11 says. And they, over, and they conquered him. They conquered him. Who's him? The beast, the dragon, excuse me, the dragon. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb. That's right, looking to Christ, trusting in Christ, his finished work on our behalf. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives, even unto death. Be faithful unto death, right? They didn't love their lives even unto death. This last, uh, let's see, it was January 8th, so it was two days ago, Friday, I guess, was the 65th anniversary of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the other, the other three um, missionaries that were speared to death in the Ecuador jungles, bringing the gospel to the natives there who, they didn't speak the same language, but they had a passion to bring the the gospel to them. So they made contact with them and January 8th, 1956, they, all five of them were speared to death. I remember reading about, or maybe it's a document, we have a documentary, but they, they did bring a gun. They brought a gun. But they committed that they would never use it on the natives. They would shoot it in the air to try to scare them away if they felt like they needed to. In fact, I think a bullet was discharged, one bullet, um, in all that happened. But they said, we would never use it because if they die, they won't go to heaven. We will. That's amazing. That's powerful. Here's uh, something that Jim Elliott wrote in his journal. And I think, if I remember right, he, he believed this was one of the overarching themes of the book of Ephesians. He wrote this, He is no fool. You guys know how this f- goes? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he can't keep. What did Jesus say? If you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. It's gone. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. If you are in Christ, it's, you can't lose the reward. 
It's important that we, have, that we, that we think soberly and with an eternal perspective about the, the time we live in. Now, listen, just to wrap up here, okay? Well, with point number six, and then I have six more points. Um, I'm joking. I'm jo- <laughs> no. I don't think I had six points, but anyways. Um, notice the promise that's given to the faithful, to the one who conquers. It says it in verse 10 and 11. I think you kind of put them together. So the second death will not harm them. And verse 10 says, I will give the crown of life. Excuse me, verse 9 says that. No, wait, where is that? I missed it. No, verse, verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I will give the crown of life. Word life here, same word that's used when Jesus says, I'm the one who died and came to life. I will give the crown of unending, indestructible life. I I realize that there might have been a time when people emphasized eternal life. How can you emphasize it too much? But, But there wasn't as much emphasis on how do we live now. It was all about going to heaven I don't think that's our problem now. I don't think that's our problem. I think our problem is more, hey, we want the American dream now. Give it to me. And when it feels like it's being taken away, we get mad. Jesus said, I will give the crown of life. I love how Jesus says, I will give it to you. I'm going to give it to you the crown of life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.